you know, Jesus commanded his disciples to be a witness. I feel like preaching tonight, but I'm going to try to teach because I feel like teaching too. Jesus commanded his disciples to be a witness. He did not command his disciples to go out and witness. And uh, I've been meditating on that a little bit yesterday or day before yesterday, one of them days. And because we oftentimes struggle with how to witness to people. And there's not a command in the Bible that tells you to go and witness to people. That's the religious tradition. The Bible does not command you to go out and witness to people. The Bible commands you to go out and be a witness. And there is a distinct difference between witnessing to people and being a witness. When I witness to somebody, as we use it, as the church tends to use the term witnessing, I'm going out and I'm telling people about Jesus. And at least in the West, most people have heard of Jesus. And if they haven't heard of him, they've heard something about him, even if it was incorrect, or they're religious already, whatever the case may be. So you find it difficult to tell people about Jesus because you're talking to a person that more likely than not has a preconceived idea of him. But you were not told to tell people about Jesus. You were told to be a witness of him, Jesus said. Those were his words, be a witness of me. So what does that mean? That means as much as I have had an impact on you, that should be displayed in every aspect of your life around everyone. Because if I tell you about somebody that you don't know, and I keep telling you how great they are, that's information. That is not going to lead someone to desire. It might get them to interest it, but then they're going to hit a wall and walk away. And a lot of times if your witness is failing, that's why. Because you're telling people about Jesus. Every successful witness has been a witness of character, a witness of transformation. Even the people you successfully witnessed to, because everybody in here has a success story or two. If not, you better get to work. Uh, but every time I've successfully witnessed to anyone, it was an interest in me that led them to my Jesus. They wanted the Jesus I had. They didn't know Jesus personally. They wanted what I had. Because being a witness of Jesus means my life is so affected, so transformed by my relationship with Jesus that it's impossible to hide it when I'm around others. And people will see the results of your transformation and look for a reason for it. And that's when you introduce them to your Jesus. You, you know, some churches, they have, you know, programs and, and, and uh, you know, scripts, for lack of a better term, five conversation starters to tell someone about the Lord. None of that's wrong. None of that's bad. Because some people aren't good with words, <laughs> you know. And sometimes we just need to break the ice a little bit, and that's fine. And I'm not saying that that never works, but more times than not, when that works, you're inviting someone to join your religion or to join your organization. You're not witnessing Christ to them. And well-meaning people, people with good hearts, they look for 12-step plans and things like that. 
But if you've ever been crazy about somebody, if someone's ever had an impact on your life to such a degree that it transformed you, you know how to talk. It might not sound like somebody else, but anybody that you talk to, that comes off of you. How you relate to somebody else, if they've had a significant enough impact on you, it comes out. People always tell me, you know, people I work with me, they say, you talk about your dad a lot. I quote my dad a lot. I talk about my dad a lot because he had a significant impact on my life, Amen. you know. It's, it's, it's easy for me to recall things that he said, moments I've had, things that I've done. And when I am talking to other people, they say, man, that sounds real deep. And I say, yeah, I learned that from my dad. See, it's not hard. I don't even need to get credit for it. I don't mind giving credit to the person I learned it from because of the relationship that we had, the impact. I say the same thing about my wife. You know, everybody that knows me knows how I feel about my wife. So I talk about her. I do this thing that she can't figure out why I do it, but I do it for my own benefit. Whenever I order takeout, I always use her name, even if she's not there. Uh, it's just my own little tradition. Don't hurt nobody. So everybody thinks my name is Taylor because when I go to Chipotle or whatever, they ask for a name, I say Taylor. <laughs> Keeps her on my mind all the time. And she always laughs when I do it. She said, even if we're together, I'll still say it, Taylor. And, and she goes, why do you always give her my name? I say, you know, because it's on my mind all the time. You know, that's me. Everybody got their own little thing. Don't steal my things. Let it be my thing. It's going to be a whole lot of dudes in here with women names on stuff. <laughs> <laughs> That's all right. You can use it if you want. <laughs> it's going to change the color of this church real fast. Uh, no, nah, I'm just playing. Uh, but no, it's not hard. Everybody that knows me knows. I know how you feel about your wife because you, you talk about her all the time, and when you're around her, I'm handsy. Everybody knows that. Uh, that's a witness. If you did, I have people that I talk to, that I work with, that I deal with, that I've never met my wife personally, but know so much about how she is because of how I am as a result of being with her. That's a witness. One of the problems we have when it comes to being a witness is we don't have an intimate enough relationship with the Lord to the point of transformation that you can tell the difference. So we have to find something to say and hope that we can talk you into getting to know a Jesus we barely know. And that's why you're having a hard time witnessing, because you were not commanded to witness. You were commanded to be a witness. If you just went out into your day-to-day -day life and were just as excited about your relationship with God as you are about anything else you get excited about, people would, it would attract people. People would go, there's something different about you. There's something about you. That's a sign that your witness is on. Something about you is different. Whenever, whenever you do this job, it comes out different. Or we hit a wall here, you don't. What is that? That's your witness. Because your witness is not just telling people about Jesus. Your witness is having the same effect on the world in your part of the world as Jesus would have if Jesus were there. That's what a disciple does. A disciple, this is not my message for tonight. This is just, up, it's just in here, right? A disciple transforms their environment to the same way that the person that discipled them transformed them. We have a, a, a nation full of Christians with very little transformation in their, in their world. 
and we wonder why we watch the world go one direction as if we're not in it. Because we're not truly disciples. We're followers, but not disciples. Jesus had a lot of followers and few disciples. Jesus didn't send his followers out. He sent his disciples. I'm going to talk about that in one way or another tonight. Jesus had a lot of followers. All his followers left at the crucifixion. Many of them left at his, at his arrest. When they, saw, when they dragged him out, I, I saw this, uh, you know, I'm big into historical things, especially in, in, in biblical history. And it, there was this archaeologist who did an excavation of uh, Herod's palace. And the palace that Pilate used when they interrogated Jesus. Because the Bible gives clues as to where it was and things like that. And so he goes out to Israel and he finds the, the parts of the palace are still there. And nobody was paying it any attention. They had kind of built businesses and stuff around it and didn't realize... Because, you know, if you go to, to Israel, uh, it's a modern country sitting on top of a bunch of old ones. And so if you know what to look for, you can still see signs. So there's still a, a section where the judgment seat that Pilate sat on, where you would bring the prisoners to, and then you could form like, a, like an assembly outside. So he could, when he was telling them, who do you want, Jesus or Barabbas and all of that, he actually found that place, the judgment seat area. It's pretty cool, man. Uh, but a lot of his followers saw that because it was set up as a public trial. They all left. They didn't want anything to do with that. Many of them turned on him. Crucified. We thought he was going to do something. He didn't do it. So crucified. But the disciples stayed. The disciples, they scattered, but then they reassembled for the resurrection, you know. And, uh, Bible says that some of his disciples feared for their lives, so they went into hiding at the crucifixion because they were known to be disciples of Jesus. Let me ask you a question. How afraid of your, for your life are you if they come after your Jesus? When they come after your Jesus, because they come after him all the time. They come after him on TV. They come after him on the Internet. They come after him in all kinds of ways. If you're a disciple, that should be a personal attack on you. Amen. It shouldn't, you shouldn't be so detached from the attack on your Jesus that it doesn't affect you personally. Amen. People should know, if I, say, if I have a, a, an idea, an impression, a cultural thing that violates the word of God, I'm not just offending God, I'm offending that man over there, because that man over there is a disciple. You should be that man over there or that woman over there. But a lot of times we're so detached, we're so neutral for the sake of getting along. We're so neutral that people don't respect our God in our presence. Amen. And I'm not talking about being that guy that comes in and slaps people when they cuss. You don't want to be that guy. You can't talk like that around me. I'm too safe. No, 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 no. If you're a true witness, people will, will arrest their own behavior around you. People will arrest their... Look, I used to work with sailors. Don't nobody cuss like a sailor. Don't nobody cuss 
like a sailor, especially an old sailor, half of their language is cursing. I've been called everything in the book. They made up some new words that won't in the book yet, probably in the new edition of the book. But when they was cussing me out, <laughs> it won't in the book. I've been called every racial slur you can think of to my face. I used to work with a guy that was a Klan member. Everybody knew it. He had a gigantic Confederate flag over his uh, fireplace, and he was proud of it. I used to work with the man. <laughs> we was on the same crew every day. On top of him being a, a, a confirmed Confederate, he was a practicing witch. And proud of it. He had it on his hard hat and everything. <laughs> he, would, he would hold rituals in his backyard every Saturday because that was his worship day. Light fires and incense and all kinds of stuff, worshiping nature and, and, pr and proud of it. I'm a witch. I'm proud of it. <laughs> Among sinners, I've never met a sinner more sinnery than that. <laughs> I was like, you can't be a witch and a racist. You, you want to get slapped. You know, I have been tested. I've been up 130 feet in the air with the man, alone. Anything can happen 130 feet in the air. They can't prove nothing. People fall out that basket all the time. <laughs> That's a Brother Kenny spirit, I feel. <laughs> Man can fall out that basket, anything can happen. <laughs> they put you in a little metal box and shoot you up in the air. And you gotta work with that man for eight hours and hear him talk all his junk. We got along fine. We got along great, because just as proud as he was of who he was, I'm just as proud of who I am. We got along fine. <laughs> we had lunch together, because they sent us to the base, the two of us, because we were in alternate trade. So he was an electrician, I'm a mechanic. So Mechanics can't do electrical, electrical can't do mechanical, so they got to send you off in pairs to do certain jobs. There was a ship that needed work at the Navy base. They sent us to the Navy base. It's a three-day job. So for three days, it's just him and I. And they got all kinds of restaurants on the base, so we eating lunch together, talking. <laughs> got to know each other pretty well. Can't be scared. He ain't got no power. He's serving the wrong God. I ain't worried about his God. <laughs> My God be his God. You know, couldn't be a jerk. I learned a few things from him because he'd been in the job 40 years. He knows stuff, you know. But my witness did not diminish in his presence. My witness was at its best around people like him. And nobody else liked him. I was the only black guy that would work with him because everybody else had experience with him. They said, man, you can't get me up there with him. You ain't saved enough. The more saved you are, the easier it is. Me, him, and Jesus go up there every day. <laughs> I might be the only Jesus he experienced in his life. He had a terrible childhood. He didn't just wake up like that one day. He went through some stuff, and the more you let him talk, the more you learn. He went through a whole lot. Got a lot of spirits at work in him. I might be the only chance he get. He was old. I don't even know if he's alive now. I ain't talked to him in so many years. But my point is, Jesus didn't tell you to go witness. He said, go be a witness. You got to be so transformed that everybody around you experiences the kingdom of God through you. That's a prayer that I pray before I go into any work environment. 
that everyone I encounter will experience the kingdom of God through me. I, I put that on my lips and I keep that on my mind whenever I go into work. Because I want that to be the end result of whatever I do. However I conduct business, I want those people to have experienced the kingdom of God. Because I'm not, I don't work for those people. I work at that place. I told everybody when I was in the government, I said, I don't work for the government. I don't work for the shipyard. I don't work for the Navy base. I work at the shipyard. I work for the Lord. I'm just here because he put me here. And when he tells me to move, I go somewhere else. And that's what I did. I don't work for y'all. I work at this place. So I'm the same guy everywhere because my employer is not you. And when the government shut down, they sent us all home with no paycheck. Everybody was crying. I was laughing. I was like, good thing I don't work for the government. <laughs> they couldn't figure it out. Even my Christian friends were looking at me going, oh, man, we're going to get through this. I said, get through it. I said, good thing I don't work for this place. Because if the government can run out of money, anybody can run out of money. <laughs> I said, good thing I don't work for this place. I just work at this place. And when the government reopened back up, I didn't go back in. And the boss had to call me, where you at? I said, I'm home, taking a nap. He said, you ain't watch the news? I said, I don't watch the news. Because everybody else was staring at the news every day, waiting for the government to open back up, and get back to work. I said, I don't watch the news, sir. He said, well, you need to get to work now. <laughs> I said, uh, it's 1 o'clock on a Friday. I'll see you on Monday. <laughs> he said, the government opened back up. And he couldn't figure out why I wasn't staring at the news to make sure, you know, because it was hot news. I said, I don't watch the news. I was asleep on a Friday afternoon. Shoot. <laughs> anyway. That came out of the Holy Ghost. I didn't, I, that was not on my mind. It was just in there. We've been on this subject of fundamental Christianity. I love fundamental teachings, as you very well know. I consider myself a fundamentalist. <laughs> Uh, when you say fundamental, fundamentalist, in Christian circles, that means old-timey, you know, Bible thumper, you know, long, women wear the long dresses with no ankles, fundamentalist, you know, <laughs> preachers. Some of y'all ain't been saved that long, but if you've been saved as long as we have, fundamental has a different meaning, but I'm not that kind of fundamentalist. I like ankles. <laughs> That's all I'm going to say about that. <laughs> I'm not that kind of fundamentalist. I believe in the fundamentals of the word of God. <laughs> Look, don't judge me. This is part five, fundamental Christianity. Now, we, we started talking about the fear of the Lord and, and then the knowledge of God, and then we talked, part three I never gave a title to, so we talked about some stuff. And then part four, we talked about the mind of Christ and how the mind is the gateway to the heart. It's the filter that determines what gets in and what doesn't. And that's why renewing the mind is so important because it, what lives in your mind the most gets into your heart. It hangs out until it filters down into the heart. And you don't guard your heart without guarding your mind, without understanding the purpose and nature of your mind. God gave you a mind. Your mind is a fundamental part of your anatomy, your spiritual anatomy. It's not, some, it's not a garbage can. You just throw anything in there and let it live. You have to treat it with the same care as you do your spirit. And, and most 
issues that we as believers struggle with internally aren't really spirit issues, they're mind issues. And what happens is we let the battle in our mind go either direction about any subject, and then we try to be spiritual when we need to be. And we can't figure out why not, because you don't have much in your spirit because your mind is clogged up. Your mind can get clogged up with too many considerations. You know, the election didn't go the way you wanted it to, so now you're worried about the economy. Why? You know, I had a conversation with the Lord, because you know, last night, who voted? I ain't gonna, don't raise your hand, take that back. <laughs> you know, we, we, we sleep on some of these local elections and the, the state level elections. Everybody wanna follow the presidential one, but you don't live in the federal government. You live in the state government. You're a citizen of, of the state more than you are a citizen of the, of the United States. And so most of the laws that dictate or have an effect on your day-to-day -day life are state level. So you really should be voting in your state elections. Uh, not saying you shouldn't vote in the presidential ones, but they get a lot more coverage. But the state elections, that's why you can go from one state and have a different set of laws in another state. Because we're the United States of America. Each state has its own government. It has a governor at the top, like the president. It has a Senate, a Congress. It has various elected officials that fill, then you're an individual state. We had a whole war about this some time ago, where one set of states left the union and then <laughs> fought the other part of the states because states can do that. So you should pay attention to your local and state elections because they matter. But if, you, if your kids are in public school, your local elections matter. Who the president is don't have much effect on what your kids learn in school as your school board does. You gotta pay attention to that stuff. So anyway, I had a conversation with the Lord because, you know, I wasn't very happy with the election results. I found out that I, anyway, I'll tell that story later. Uh, I wasn't very happy with the results. But you know what the Lord said to me? He said, he said, it ain't Caesar. He said, Joe Biden ain't Caesar. I said, hmm. He said, we started this thing in Rome, in ancient Rome. He said, you think America's bad because of some policies and some people and some politicians. He said, there won't no voting Caesar out. They had to stab that man. I said, Lord, you know, I never thought about that. He said, this is not a terrible government. He said, I started in a terrible government. He said, you, this is not ancient Rome. Don't lose your heart because an election don't go one way or the other. He said, they were crucifying us. Literally. Now, that don't mean you sleep, you take a nap, and don't do what you're supposed to do as a believer and as a citizen. But sometimes you can get disheartened by election results. And that's, where's your faith? Because it ain't Rome. He said, it ain't Rome. He said, that ain't Caesar. We don't have no emperors and kings. There ain't no dictators in this country. It's people that have been affected by negative culture voting their culture. Politicians know how to talk to a culture to get you to vote the way they want you to vote. It don't matter what they actually do or what they actually mean to do. They just want the power of your vote. So they talk to your culture. And then he said this, he said, the responsibility of changing culture is yours. You're trying to change government through your vote, but you're not affecting culture at all. Because 50 years ago, the most Democratic, blue, left-leaning, 
places in the country were more conservative than the average conservative place is now. Because the culture was different. Now, they were heading in a certain direction. But they didn't just come out the gate with all this stuff. All this craziness you see in the world today and in politics today, it took a long time to get there. One little cultural change at a time. One TV show gets slips through the cracks and their kids grow up watching it. One artist gets a little famous singing a message, sharing an idea. One guy gets famous doing this and we kind of allow him in. Well, we know he's like that, but he's cool. So then the way he is becomes cool. And a generation raises up on that, then it begins to filter to the church. And where we used to be the vanguard of the culture, we used to be the voice that said, no, I don't care how much we like this guy's music, his lifestyle is A, B, and C. We don't go with that. We started playing the music, or we started letting them stand in our pulpits and tell us stuff about how the world is, like we didn't know. And God forbid they make a gospel record or make a movie that kind of talk about Jesus a little bit, or we eat that up. Then we become cultural Christians instead of real ones. So then when the politicians come around every four years or so to see what's up, they figure out what the culture is saying and that's what they talk to. And you vote your culture. You don't vote, 90% of you don't know a single bill on the books, but you know your culture. I like him because he eats the same grits I eat. I can identify with him, I'm gonna vote him in. Anyway. So don't get discouraged. Focus on the culture because that's your job. Jesus and Christianity changed the culture of Rome until, Rome, until Christianity became the official religion of Rome. Rome went from multi-theistic pagan, killing Christians, to, in a matter of a couple of hundred years, entirely Christian. To the point where it became illegal to be anything but Christian. Culture. Culture. So it's possible to do that. And they did not hold elections. They just made the culture so thick. Christians wouldn't stop. They wouldn't shut up. You kept killing them. They kept multiplying. They didn't back down. They fought and they fought and they preached and they were witnesses of Christ until enough people in enough positions of power got so affected by this Christian thing that the emperor got affected. Then it was off to the races. So don't lose your heart. Don't get discouraged. But vote because you're supposed to. Part five, how much time I got left? You know, I keep trying to get into my messages. I, this happened last week, too. You know, I'd be prepared. But as soon as I get up here, the Holy Ghost say, say this. So I'm, I'm trying. Just bear with me. Fundamental Christianity, part five. We are going to talk about something that the Lord put on my heart very recently. Uh, because... What we think of the fundamentals is oftentimes not fundamental so much as it's ornamental. In other words, when, if you ask the average Christian, what are some fundamental principles of Christianity? They can tell you things like, you know, Christ dying for our sins, which is fundamental. 
or they can talk about things like uh, traditions and, and, and cultural things that Christians adhere to, conservative values like family and, and generosity, and those are all great. But you can have many of those values and not walk in the true faith. Because as conservative as Christians tend to be, conservatism and Christianity are not the same thing. Don't get political with, your, with who God made you. You can be conservative and not be Christian. You can, don't replace the values because you believe in traditional marriage and, and, and you know, life at, at conception does not mean you are a Christian. That is not what they were killing Christians for. The fundamental principles of Christianity are rooted in who Christ is and who we are in him. So that's what we need to be understanding more than anything else, because it's named after him. We have to understand who we are in him and what we can do and what we have. Those are the fundamental principles of true Christianity. Religious Christianity is conservatism and tradition. Nothing wrong with traditions and conservatism, but don't get them mixed up. Because I know some people that are very conservative and ain't saved. And you are not going to show your political affiliation to get into heaven. And I could say something else, but I may offend, so I won't. Now, you don't want me to say this. I'm trying to keep my job. <laughs> Not offend anybody in here. Don't, don't get it twisted. <laughs> but uh, I would like to come back next week. We are going to talk about the power of patience and eternal perspective. The Lord gave this to me. And I never saw it this way before. He said, you know, one of the reasons that believers get so hung up on their problems and the world and all of these things is because they don't have an eternal perspective. You're just living for today. And your God, the God in whose image you were made, and the God whom you worship, and the God who you were called to be like, has an eternal perspective because he is an eternal being and so are you. And Paul warns us constantly not to be married to our flesh because our flesh is not eternal. It is temporal or temporary. It is of the earth. It, is, it will decay. It is decaying. Some of us more than others. But you are an eternal being and therefore your perspective must be an eternal one and your actions must reflect the effect you intend to have on eternity, not just on today. And that sounds big because you're stuck in your little carnal mind, but it ain't too big for God because everything God has ever done, ever will do, and is doing is eternal in perspective. That's why patience is married to faith because faith is a product of the word, God is the word. The spoken word of God brings faith when it is planted. And all faith works with love and patience. God is love. So where does patience fit? Go to, I'm, I'm borrowing this verse from Pastor Diana from a couple of weeks ago. 
she wrote it herself, so I had to get permission from her to use it. <laughs> Go to Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. You know, it jumped out at me a couple weeks ago, and I've just been sitting on it because she's going to accuse me of being in her notes. But, you know, I'm just in the Bible, and it just so happened to be there. Um, what did I say? Ephesians 6.10. That's what I said. Why did I say Ephesians 6.10? That is not right. I meant Hebrews 6.10. I'm so sorry. <laughs> this is the other one that Pastor Diana wrote. <laughs> so I have Hebrews 6.10 marked in my notes. But when I wrote it again in my other part of my notes, I wrote Ephesians 6.10, and I don't know why I did that. And if I, if I, get, uh, if I get yelled at later, oh well. It won't be the first time. It probably won't be the last. I have a tendency to be hard-headed sometimes. But I promise, Pastor Diana, this is all I took. <laughs> as long as you don't care, that's all right. Because I might have been lying. Ephesians chapter, Hebrews chapter 6. <laughs> no, I wasn't lying. I, this is the only scripture I took. Verse 10. For God is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love, which you have showed towards his name, in that you have ministered to the saints and do or and continue to minister. Verse 11. And we desire that every one of you do show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope unto the end. That you be not slothful, but followers of them who through faith and patience inherit the promises. So, Lord, I, this question came up in my spirit. The question was, is it possible that most believers are not suffering from faith failures, but rather patience failures? That was, that was my question to the Lord. I don't write my questions down so I can remember how I worded them, you know. And the Lord very quickly answered, yes. I wrote that down too. You can, most of you are not suffering from faith failures. You're suffering from patience failures. Paul says something very interesting in here that I never noticed before, and I've read this a million times. He said, through faith and patience, you inherit the promises. So in other words, God can promise you something, and it can be part of your inheritance, and you still not get it. And we spend a lot of time reminding ourselves of what God has promised. We spend a lot of time reminding ourselves of our inheritance. But do you really live like God promised you an inheritance? I'm not looking at levels. I'm looking at... If you're a real... Hold on, because I don't want to... I don't want to twist in the minds... I don't want to twist what I'm saying. Just because you don't have a million dollars in a jet does not mean you're not living like someone who's walking in their inheritance. Because there are levels to your receiving as you grow. But when, God, when you are living in the promised inheritance, the thing that God promised you was peace, not stuff. 
Because you can have stuff without peace. But stuff won't give you peace. You can only get peace from the Lord. And your inheritance, when you receive from God, peace comes with it. Some of us aren't living in million-dollar homes with jets, but we have peace. Now, you can grow peace financially. You can grow it spiritually. You can grow it physically in your body. You can develop because you follow the trail of peace everywhere you go. See, I used to, I was talking to a couple of brothers a few weeks ago. I made a lot of money, and I blew a lot of money. I had a great salary. I was doing very well as far as income goes, but I was dumb, and I had no peace. Because I would make a couple grand and spend a couple grand. And then the bills would come, and I ain't had no money. I had no savings, but I had a nice car, a nice home, and we was balling out. I was feeding Denzel pretty good. <laughs> and if you ever had to put food in that man's belly, you know how much money it costs. <laughs> and we was out balling out. I, I ain't gonna go with it. I ain't got time. But I, I'd rent a Cadillac for the weekend. Have a car. I rented a Cadillac for me, Denzel, and Jalen to go out. Got a hotel room. But I got a hotel room five minutes from home. I want you to think about that. It ain't like we went out of town. We didn't go out of town. We didn't go travel. I rented a brand new Cadillac for the weekend. Drop money on it, because you know you don't get those cheap. Because those are luxury vehicles. They cost extra. I, I said, give it, me, give it to me for the whole weekend. Got a hotel room, and we just chilling in Chesapeake. Dumb. I get it back. I'm making money. Just blowing money like it's going out of style. I wasn't married at the time, obviously. I didn't have the wisdom of the, of the wife. But I had stuff, but I had no peace. And when the bills came, I stayed up all night worrying about how I was going to pay them. There's a lot of folks I didn't listen to. I'm still here. Now I have peace. And here's the thing, here's how I, not, it's not only how I know, but here's one way I know that I have peace, because I can do that again, and I don't really have to. See, the thing that, one of the things that kept me from walking in peace was ego and taste. I wanted to look like I could do it all. I wanted my friends to be impressed. Now, I'm not naturally egotistical. I don't care if you got something better than me. I'm not competitive like that. Like, I'm not trying to outshine anybody else. It's never been about, oh, you got a nice thing, I got to get a nicer one. I've never been that way. I'm not competitive like that. But I want you to think I can do what I know I can do. So it's more about being as, an, being as impressive a version of me as I think I should be. That was the thing that robbed me of my peace. So I could work all day. And come home and eat noodles so we can go out to the, to the a hotel room. Now I eat good. And I can still do the hotel room thing. I just won't now because I don't care what you think of me. I don't care anymore. When I got the peace of God, I lost that. So now money does not move me. I've given up money and opportunities for money because 
I didn't want to do the work. Not laziness, but it was going to cost me a night with my wife. I said, I'd rather be home with her. She ain't hurting for nothing. I'm not hurting for anything. You're not going to buy me. And I, I believe, Pastor Diana, that that was one of the strongholds that had to tear down before I could go into ministry. Because you can't go into ministry if you can be bought. Because they will come. They'll throw a check at you. All you got to do is talk good and look good, and the money can come. I had to be past the point of feeling like I had to show you something or shine on you. Now you can't, you, money won't do it. Peace. Nothing wrong with wanting stuff. I got nice stuff. I can get nicer stuff. It's things I just haven't done because I'm literally not thinking about it enough. And my wife, thank God for my wife because she has to come to me and say, babe, you got to buy me one of them and I give you 12 months. I say, okay, baby. <laughs> because I'm good. I'm almost too good. Where if I don't have her to put a little fire under me, I'll be straight. I used not to be like that. So anyway, peace. You can have stuff with peace, but stuff won't give you peace. So the inheritance that you were promised, you can be living in it, even if you don't have a whole bunch of stuff yet. But to receive inheritance, you must master patience. And we spend a lot of time on faith, but not enough time on patience. And most of us have failed for lack of patience, not for lack of faith. Because faith, faith is relatively easy. Patience is where all the work is. Now, if you're taking those, write this down. An abundance of faith with an absence of patience will leave many crops grown but not harvested. An abundance of faith but an absence of patience will leave many crops grown but not harvested. Every time faith is planted, it reaps a harvest. When you sow a seed, a harvest is reaped, if you sow it in the good soil. But patience is the key to harvesting it. Because we think it's just going to come back to us. And it might not. It comes back to you in the sense that it belongs to you, and it comes. But it might not come to you on your couch. It might not come to you on your job. It might require you to transform an element of your life and be consistent long enough to walk into that harvest. Y'all got harvest out there that's waiting for you to go get it. And you drive past it every day. And because it would require a transformation in you, a change in your culture, a change in your habits, a change in the way you talk, a change in the way you think, you'll never get it. Because patience is evidenced by consistency. The word patience is not about waiting. It's about staying consistent with an eternal perspective. God is the, the essence of patience. And the Bible says he never changes. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. That is the essence of patience. The same yesterday, today, and forever. We are capable of being that way. We can't do it in our own strength. We have to receive that grace from the Holy Spirit like you have to do everything to be like Christ. But it is possible to be the same yesterday, today, and forever. See, you are not your flesh. You are in your flesh. 
And because your flesh changes, you think you change. But you don't have to change just because your flesh changes. You can be the same yesterday, today, and forever. Your flesh going to change. Sometimes your flesh feels good and wants to do good. Sometimes it doesn't. But because you feel a feeling does not mean you've changed. You change when you decide to do what the feeling says to do. Sometimes it's hard to be you. And sometimes it's easy. But you can be you every day. That is the essence of patience. Your inheritance is linked to your maturity, your maturing into the nature of your father. Just like any good inheritance. When parents leave their children inheritances, good parents tend to leave stipulations. Okay, they got to be a certain age. They can't have a criminal record. I'm not going to give this $10 million to for bail money. He's got to finish college. He's got to have a job. Maybe he has to be married to a certain girl. Whatever the stipulations are. When they do inheritances, it's not just, well, you're my son, so here you go. Not if they're smart. They usually put, <laughs> they usually put stipulations because they're looking for character that matches them and who they want their child to be. And as the child becomes more like the parent, they get more inheritance. Well, why would that be any different for God? He made you to be like him. If he is unchanging, then unchanging must be possible for you. He is not flesh. You are not flesh. You are in flesh. Flesh is a part of your makeup. It has a value. But you are not identified by it. You are spirit. And if you, and you know something, let me tell you something. How much time I got? Speaking of time, let me get this one last. Let me get this last nugget out, and then I'll switch back. Patience is the character of faith that removes the element of time from the believer's process. Patience is the character of faith that removes the element of time from the believer's process. Patience is the foundation for an eternal perspective. You will never gain an eternal perspective if your patience is weak. Patience is manifest through consistency. Do the same thing the same way every time. No matter how you feel, no matter what the weather is, no matter what the politics are saying, no matter what the government is saying, no matter what the culture is saying, no matter what Aunt Sally told you, I do the same thing the same way every time. James says, go to James chapter 1. We know this one. But now let's know it. James chapter 1, verse 2. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various temptations. He says, enjoy it. That is the way athletes think. You ever talk to a professional athlete? They love the challenge. I like to watch bodybuilders because I was into it for a little while and now I'm, you know, I'm a boxer at heart. So I follow boxers more, but bodybuilders have this thing in their brain. Need more weight, 
I can do one more rep. I want it to hurt. I want my arms to feel like they're about to fall off. I'm not done until I can't lift my head anymore. Now I'm done. They love the fight. That's why they look like that and you don't. It's not, it's not genetics. It's, it's, it's they go into the gym to eat weight and they don't come out to their full. James is that kind of guy. He says, when you fall into different temptations or tests of your faith, enjoy it. Count it as joy. Look for a fight. And he said, here's why. Because you know the trying of your faith works your ability to be consistent. When it's raining outside, half the guys ain't going to show up to the gym. So when you're in the parking lot and it's raining outside and you got that moment, I think I'm going to go home. I don't feel like this. But you go in, it's the best workout of your life. You will never work out better than when it's raining outside. Because the other half of them people, they ain't coming. They not coming. But let patience complete her work. That you may be complete and whole, wanting nothing. Because some of the stuff you, you need to complete you is not going to be, it's not all there on day one. It's going to be there on day 100. And you get to day 99 and then sleep in. And try to figure out why you didn't receive that. How come they walking in that and I'm not? How come it's so much easier for them to walk in love than it is me? It just seems so natural for them. They're just nice all the time. Ain't nobody nice all the time. Right. Except God. And if he can be nice all the time, I can be nice all the time. It might be hard because he don't have flesh on him. But you know what? He used to. Just to prove it could be done, he became one of us and still stayed just like God. So you have no excuse. And to add insult to injury of your flesh, he did it while nailed to a cross. You've never been that offended. But you might be that weak in patience. You think patience is just waiting a long time and holding on. That's not what patience is. Patience is having a process and sticking to it no matter what. That's what patience is. And your inheritance is on the other side of that character. It's, a, it's, a, it's almost an obsession with the war. I love it when it's peaceful, but man, I miss a good fight. Fighters in the offseason, they don't stop fighting. They go to the gym and they hit that bad until they put a hole in it, waiting for the next guy to challenge them. Because they're fighters. They don't fight for a living. They fight and somebody pays them to do it. That's, you don't want to get in the ring with a guy like that. I heard Mike Tyson say that about one of his sons. His son came to him and said, Dad, I want to be a boxer. He said, no, you don't. He said, I did all that fighting so you wouldn't have to. He said, you don't want to be in a, in a ring with a guy like me. <laughs> he said, because I was hungry and I'd kill you. So when I got into the ring, I wanted to kill you. He said, you go to private school. He said, I made all this money and sent you to private school. You don't want to be a boxer. He said, because you're going to get in the ring with a guy that ain't got no money and nothing to live for, and he's going to kill you. <laughs> he told his son the truth. He said, you don't want to be in a ring with a guy like me, hungry from the streets, been beat up his whole life, and going to take it out on you. 
and you got a private school, big because you Mike Tyson's son, you got hands. He saved that boy's life. Because <laughs> fighters, that's how fighters are. When they get into the ring, they trying to kill you. And if you happen to survive, glory be. But it is what it is. I fought a Marine once. I'll never do that again. It was bad enough that he was about 6'5 and a black belt. But I needed to fight somebody. And he was the only guy in the ring. I said, I'll take him. I did not take him. He took me. It was a ride. I learned something. Don't fight a Marine Corps sergeant who's also a black belt and six foot five. I had no advantages. None. <laughs> he was gracious about it, but he kicked my butt. <laughs> but that's the mentality of patience. Patience is dogged and hardened and determined. The way everybody's got that thing in them, and then I'm done. The problem is you don't believe in your inheritance enough to become that way for it. You don't really believe in your inheritance enough to become that way for it. Because if your kid was dying of a disease and you needed money for them to go to the hospital and they could cure them if you could pay for the procedure and you knew they'd be cured, you just didn't have the money. And there was a million dollars cash on the other side of this room. There's not a human being alive that would stop you from getting to that money. Anybody in this room with a kid, you would find the strength. You getting that money. I could put 10 Mike Tysons between you and that money, you knocking them all out. Because that's a good enough motivation to make you fight. If you could see your inheritance in the spirit, you'd get up an hour earlier. See, I got an image when I go to the gym. Because I'm almost there. I'm not, I'm not where I want to be yet. But when I go to the gym, I got an image in my mind of what I want to be like, how I want to be able to do. And I always set little goals for myself. I set goals. I'm going to run a mile in this amount of time. I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm doing rowing machine. Now, rowing is so hard on you. It's so good for you, but it's tough to do it fast, you know. So I got a 2,000-meter row. And I got a number in my head that I will reach. I always got something that I can see myself doing, and I just keep going until I do it. And then once I hit it, I find the next challenge. I've become addicted to challenge. That's what gets me up in the morning because I can get comfortable real quick. So I look for ways, I look for challenges to overcome. And with the gym, I can, what's that guy doing? I'm gonna do that. Well, you can't do that right now. Oh, well, well, maybe you're a little too old. How do I know? I don't know. I'm as old as I wanna be. That's how that works if you let it be that way. But anyway, that's all I have for you. Well, it ain't all I have for you. It's all the time we got for the night. Patience. When I come back, we'll get a little more technical. But I want to plant that seed because we are, we, we're, it's not faith failures for most of us. It's patience failures. You're just not quite crazy enough to receive your inheritance. But you will be because I believe. I believe in you, and the Lord believes in you, and He's never wrong. Amen. Amen.